You've been hearing how some big brands are winning through simplicity. But don't get intimidated. You can do this too, no matter the size of your team or your budget. Want to learn the six behaviors you can instill to create simple experiences for your customers and your team members? Download a free copy of my simple playbook today. It'll help you immediately turn your customer experience around and create an Amazon experience without having an Amazon budget. Grab your copy of my simple playbook at mattliles.com slash simple playbook. Welcome to the Simple Brand Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you create simple experiences for your customers and for your team members. Each week, we're bringing you amazing interviews with business leaders and authors who will teach you how to differentiate your business with the one thing your customers need the most, simplicity. Your customers live in a complex world. Let's make it simple. Now, here's your host, Matt Lyles. I don't know about you, but it feels like now more than ever, people are feeling stretched too thin. People feel like they're overworked, overwhelmed. People feel like they're being asked to do more with less. People feel like their days are being hijacked by somebody else's agenda. But what if there was a different way? A better way? Not a way to do more with less, but a way to do less, but better. And that's why I'm glad to talk with this week's guest, Greg McEwen. Greg is the New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author of Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. And his latest book is out this week, Effortless, Make It Easier to Do What Matters Most. He's the host of the What's Essential podcast. He's been featured by The New York Times, Fast Company, Fortune, HuffPost, and Inc. Magazine. And Greg teaches that it isn't about getting more done in less time, and it's not about getting less done. It's about getting only the right things done that will bring you the biggest impact, the biggest impact in your business, and especially the biggest impact in your personal life. Now, this is usually the part of the episode intro where I give a brief highlight on Greg's lessons that he shares in the interview, but this episode is different, a lot different. In fact, this turns into the most uncomfortable interview I've done, as early on, Greg and I throw away the interview and we turn it into an essentialism intervention where Greg literally coaches me on my business and helps me prioritize my approach. So you get to listen to me being really uncomfortable and really vulnerable in the hot seat. But good news As you listen along, you can actually take the same questions that Greg asks and take the same insights that he provides and apply it to your own business. But you likely won't feel like you're sweating in the spotlight as much as I did. So let's go ahead and let's get through it. Here's my interview with Greg McEwen. Hi, Greg. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Matt. It's great to be with you. Yes, this is fantastic. I have loved your book, Essentialism, ever since it came out, but I've also been loving your podcast too. This is a great year for you. Well, it's been, uh, COVID has been uh, an opportunity that uh, that none of us wanted, uh, but it has been a chance to, to reset, to explore. Uh, and for me personally, it has been a, a real opportunity to practice essentialism and 
Uh, I, I have to admit, uh, in some ways, it's been one of the most productive, essentialist years of my adult life. Uh, I was able to finish a book. I got into monk mode and and completed a book. Uh, basically on time <laughs> every day I worked on it. I wondered, I wondered what, what, what was your plan, Greg? <laughs> if, uh, if COVID hadn't stepped in and, and put a sort of enforced monk mode on me uh, and, uh, and, and the podcast as well, these were already on the book, excuse the pun uh, before, uh, before all of COVID, but these, these were able to be manifest um, partially because, because of not traveling uh, which has been a real gift uh, in and of itself. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And that's fantastic to hear. And in fact, that's how this podcast came about. This podcast wasn't on the books for 2020. And I think I would, I think it was maybe March or April when everything was shut down, everyone was sheltering in place. And I decided to sit down and go through some exercises that start with the question, what does this make possible? And then answering that and then, and then taking it further, well, then what does that make possible? And from there, I realized, hey, I've got the opportunity to create a podcast and to bring in some other guests who are also sitting at home and not traveling and want to be able to share their message too. I love your question. What does this make possible? It's such a terrific way of dealing with all of life, with the good things, with the bad things, and just exploring what is here what what opportunity is here one of my favorite insights from possibly the most painful agonizing experience i've ever gone through uh, was a lesson and the lesson was if you focus on what you lack you lose what you have and if you focus on what you have you gain what you lack i think that's a complement to this idea of what does this make possible Oh, that's a beautiful quote and something that my wife has been teaching me for years. And I think it finally hit home. But the question, what does this make possible? I can't credit that to myself. I actually credit that to Michael Hyatt, who I believe credits that to his real inspiration, his wife, Gail Hyatt. <laughs> well, well, Gail and Michael are friends of mine and they're just terrific yes. uh, people. I remember last time I was in town there, we it was before COVID, but we were able to have a great lunch together and uh, and spend time. And uh, they're just doing terrific work. I've enjoyed the work that he's the books that he he's been putting out. Just love that uh, that Michael and Gail, his daughter Megan as well, yes. just doing uh, doing great work. Megan came to an event that I I organized just for one year, where people would fly out and we would do personal quarterly offsite together. Uh, every 90 days. And uh, it was enjoyable getting to know her too. I always walk away with great lessons from all three of them. But I want to talk about some of your lessons, especially, you know, from your book, Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. And one of the things that I've heard you highlight is the quote, I believe, from Jim Collins, where he talks about the undisciplined pursuit of more. How have you observed that problem, and how did that help you arrive at your teachings? The undisciplined pursuit of more is such a terrific phrase from Jim, and he uses it to describe the problem of success, that otherwise great companies who start to lose their focus and lose their way 
precisely because they have so much possibility. You know, it's 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 like the dark side of the question that we just riffed on a moment ago about what does this make possible? Well, sometimes when you have a lot of options in front of you, when you have a lot you could do, a company starts to get successful. And this can happen to massive companies, but it can happen even to small entrepreneurial ventures where you start to have a, you know, a couple of customers and you and things start moving and and then you immediately start thinking, well, what if we offered this service and what about that product? And and then and then as you continue to expand, you these are all the right problems to have, but they do in fact turn out to prob- to be a problem if they fall into the undisciplined pursuit of more. Because if you fall into that, then you start to plateau in your progress or even fail altogether. It's true for companies, for corporations, for entrepreneurial ventures, but it's also true at the individual level. And that was true for me in a personal moment where I got an email from my boss at the time that said Friday between 1 and 2 p.m. would be a bad time for your wife to have a baby. Um, and, but, and sure enough, Friday comes along as fate would have it. We are in the hospital. Our daughter has been born. And instead of being focused, I'm feeling torn and I'm feeling the strain of trying to keep everybody happy. And I'm feeling, you know, I'm on my laptop. I've got my phone out. I'm not focused on what is clearly the most essential thing. And so I go to the meeting, in fact, um, and, and the client, uh, you know, well, I remember my manager saying, well, look, the client will respect you for the choice you just made. Well, the look on their faces didn't evince that sort of confidence or respect, as I recall. But even if they had, it's so clear I had made a fool's bargain. And what I learned was this important lesson, which was if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. Which is really another way of saying, if you don't learn how to become successful at success, you're going to fall into the undisciplined pursuit of more. Now, the way out, whether for an entrepreneurial venture or for me individually in this situation, is to discover the disciplined pursuit of less. And that's what essentialism really means. Essentialism is a way of thinking and then a way of acting that adds up to this counterintuitive approach to success, a disciplined pursuit of less but better. So less but better, the disciplined pursuit of less sounds like it's not just the opposite of getting more done. It sounds like it's more than that. Yes, I don't think it is the opposite to getting more done, but it's also not the productivity answer uh, to life, which is just to get more things done. So it's saying that, that both of those, you know, those that's not the right continuum. It's not just doing less or doing more. It's not getting less done or getting more done. That's a false dichotomy. You're you're being asked to make a choice. You don't have to make the choice between those two options. It's more like a pyramid. There's a third alternative, and the third alternative is less but better. For example, essentialism stands in contrast to most of the productivity thinking out there because I'm not trying to show people how to efficiently do more. What I'm trying to do is say, how can you get more of the right things done? Fewer things done better. Fewer things, but focus on the right few things. And somehow you both enjoy your experience more and make a higher contribution at the end. So that's what essentialism is. And that's its value proposition. 
So focusing on the right things. And that's kind of like what I've been looking at lately in my own business. I'm I'm still in the first year of starting my own venture. And for the first handful of months, of course, I was in charge of everything and I was trying to do everything. And now each day, each week, it's me looking at what all has to be done. And I say to myself, okay, what are only those things that only I can do? And then out of that, what are those things that are going to really move the needle? And to me, that helps answer the question of what are the right things to do? What, what is your new venture? I actually left a 17-year marketing and brand career from FedEx. And a year ago, I started my venture in professional speaking and brand experience consulting. And the podcast is one piece of this. COVID, <laughs> COVID was, was a frustrating element of your new venture. Oh, absolutely. I, I didn't plan on there being a global pandemic during my first year of business. No, I'm so, I'm so sorry for you with that, because that, that's just like a killer timing of it. And, and so we should apply essentialism directly to you, unless you'd rather do it some other way. Let's do that, please. So, so tell me what in your venture is essential, really important to you, but you feel like you're underinvesting in it right now? I would say that area would be business development. You know, okay. like actually going out and finding consulting clients and finding opportunities for speaking. Yes. And what makes that hard? Because you're saying it's essential. You're not doing it. There's a reason you're not doing it. And I'm just going to guess that the reason you're not doing it is because it's harder than other activities that you could, you know, that you could be doing. So what makes it hard? To me, what makes it hard is me focusing on those day-to-day activities. So of course I need to be managing my expenses. I need to be focusing on, you know, writing and publishing content. As far as my podcast, I need to be, you know, scheduling interviews, recording the interviews, and then taking an hour's worth of footage and then editing that out. Now, thankfully, recently, I have employed a freelancer to help edit the podcast, and that's helped save considerable time. And that shows me that I've got you know windows of opportunity and more time to be able to devote to what's really essential, the mm-hmm. business development side. Yeah, no, the, the business development side, when you start a knowledge-based business, is a bit of a bear because you are trying to, well, for a start, you're sort of competing with the internet, of which, course. Is, which is a bit, <laughs> that's a bit of a challenge. Um, and what you're trying to do is find people with the very specific situation, specific problem. But you don't just want the people with a specific problem. You want people with a specific problem who have an event coming up, who have who have an offsite coming up, who have you know, like it's a it's a very particular market that you're looking for uh, within a, a theme. So help me understand this: what is your what is your expertise? Your specific expertise? My specific expertise is around simple experiences. So I teach business leaders how to create simple experiences for their customers, 
simple experiences for their employees. Uh, why should they care about that? Why, when, when should I pick you up? As a business owner myself, when should I pick up the phone, email you? What, what would the circumstances be that would initiate that? The smart business owners pick up the phone right now before they have a problem. But a lot of times it's when business owners realize that they do have a problem. Uh, their, their customers are leaving them or they have a high customer turnover or internally they have a high employee turnover. And one of the ways to keep customer loyalty or to keep employee loyalty is to make their lives simpler, to make their lives easier to do business with you. So when you talk about simple brands, what, you re- what you're really saying is easier. Yes. Easier. Simple is a path to easier. That's right. That's right. Anything that's going to remove friction from somebody's life. So if you're a customer and you have to go through multiple steps to get what you want from a company, you may not want to continue doing business with that company. Or if you're an employee and you have too many obstacles to get your job done, well, how long will you want to stay at that company? So if I am your potential customer, I am sitting here feeling, man, I'm, I just think I'm not keeping my customers in my business. It's just messy. Uh, my, my employees seem frustrated. They want to do work, but I just, I can't seem to get great results out of them, even though they seem busy or, you know, a lot of the time and they're trying to do stuff, but I'm not, I'm not getting the results I want. That's when I should call you. That's right. Or if you don't ever want to be in that situation, then call before you get to that point as you're growing your business. But the argument is, is growth. You're going to help me with growth but through a particular strategy and that strategy is simplification. Yes? Yes, I, I think so. And as companies grow, that's when complexity really creeps in because as they're growing, I think they're going to that undisciplined pursuit of more or that undisciplined pursuit of growth and not recognizing how things can get complex as they're growing. So what you're really, your, your market, you just said something helpful, I think, in clarifying this. You're looking for somebody who is, has scale pain. Scale they have, pain. They yes. have pain born of scaling. So it was fine when they were really small, but as they started to become successful, they're still dealing with all of the clutter and all of the scar tissue of their earlier versions and now people are having to jump through these you know awful hoops still when we're and, and it's just adding complexity because there's now there's you even even if you go from one employee to five employees you, you've added a, a lot of pressure onto your onto your burdens there's a great example i read about this called when you're you know if you have to make tea for one person that is a really easy process. But as soon as you have to make tea, even for 25 people, it's, a, it's already a different kind of challenge. And if you had to make it for 500 people, it's the same really simple idea. It's just making tea. But as soon as you add scale to the problem, 
you, you've got lots of complexity problems you didn't have at first. So I think that's what you're describing. So it would be in a scaled environment that I would come to you. Does that sound right? That's it. That's, re- that, that's it right there. So that's quite an interesting audience to go after because, uh, or customers to go after because they are already inherently successful uh, because they've been able to get some momentum going. They, they know how to get from phase one to phase two, but they might not know how to go from phase two to phase three. And in fact, they may have, they may have started businesses that have failed because they didn't know how to build the processes to simplify how they were going to go about it in order to scale their businesses. Or they may assume that what they did to get from phase one to phase two is the exact same thing that they need to do to get to phase three and beyond. What does somebody have to do differently from phase two to phase three in your experience with simplicity? To get to that next level, to get to that phase, I think they need to move into a role of they need to move into a role of orchestration versus simply doing the business. Um, and you know, if if you look at oh, was it Michael Gerber's E Myth Revisited? He talks about working on your business versus in your business. That's how you scale. And then at the same time, it's helping those that are in that scaling process, whether it's adding new employees or adding new vendors or new freelancers or contractors, helping them understand that everything that they do to grow the business can either help others or hinder others. And I don't think enough owners see it that way, that whatever actions you take, they may be, they may be the right actions for your job, but you could end up hindering someone just by doing your job. You could hinder the customer from getting the full value that you want to offer. You could hinder your other teammates from being able to more effectively do their job. Let's say that I have the problem you're describing and I call you up. What will you do with me? What is the service? What I would do would, you know, and and honestly, it can go one of two paths. It can go to the path of your customer experience what is the experience you're providing customers? And is that the experience that they really want? Are, how are you understanding what the customer truly needs today and what they're going to need tomorrow? And, you, and, and is it simple enough for them? You, you will ask me a series of questions. Correct. Uh, you are providing coaching. Yes. Yeah. Pr- providing coaching and then allowing, you know, those leaders to better understand the types of behaviors that they need to instill in themselves and instill in their team members to make sure they're providing a simple customer experience. Do you, do you provide coaching or training? I provide more coaching, more coaching than training. So, so this would be as, a, as, as an executive, as a decision maker, doing one-on-one sessions with you once every week or every two weeks to try and, uh, to try and re- remove complexity in order to, uh, to accelerate uh, growth, progress, and results. That's it. That's it right there. 
Okay, so as I listen to you, what I'm really trying to get to, what all of my questions are trying to do is cut through all the, the clutter and the fluff to get to like what it is, right? What is it that you're providing and who to? Because it seems to me that that the work of actually going after specifically new customers, right? That's what you're trying to, that's what you want. That's the thing that you go, if I do everything else, but I don't do that, I don't have a business. I won't have a scale. I won't be able to scale my business because you could do a lot of peripheral activity. You had a lot of effort to provide good things to potential customers, but kind of still not nail it if the audience doesn't know exactly when to come to you and what they'll get. Um, does that seem fair? That does. That That's exactly right. And ensuring that I'm able to focus on those activities that are going to help open myself up to those potential clients at the right time for them. Tell, tell me about a client that you have right now. So one of my current clients actually is is an enterprise made up of, I think, 10 different operating companies. And they're growing at an additional three companies per year. So they're in active growth phase. And this was actually the CEO is somebody that I knew in in college. And he's very new into his role and wanted to make sure that they could provide a simpler employee engagement experience for employees that are spread out across the US, spread out across the world, across 10 plus companies, and then adding more companies each year. So how do they keep things simple, especially as they're growing more and more complex? How, what percentage of the paying customers you have right now have come from a personal relationship versus any other source? You know, social media, this podcast, anything else? What percentage? Take out, take out any sort of networking. You know, whether it's uh, you know, like meeting, just potentially meeting people online or networking with other networking groups. You know, it, when when it comes to social media, the podcast, etc., I've got to say it it feels like it's maybe five percent or less. Yeah, that that feels more like what I would have what I understand from what you've described the, so it seems to me, have you, have you listened to the episode on, on the what's essential podcast with Jordan Arbinger? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. This I will recommend to you and, and many of your listeners with, with a similar challenge who are trying to scale their business with all possible speed. Jordan Arbinger has built two successful podcasts uh, from effectively from scratch, right? Really successful podcasts. And the first time took him eleven years. The second time he did it in eleven months. And when I had him on the show, we went through exactly how. And he talked about time management system he uses. Like really, we got into the nitty gritty details about how he manages his time. And I'd never heard anyone do it the way he describes, but I'll put that aside. He went through how he does his networking. And and I don't really know anybody who does it the way that he does it. But I never, I'm never gonna, I, I I'm never gonna do 
my networking the same way again. I mean, he sees it as relationship building and he's, he's doing what you have done naturally, but he just does it by design. So he, he uses a customer relationship management tool, a CRM system. Right. He has a free tool that he recommends on the podcast. Um, but that's not the point. The point is that he's reaching out to people before he needs something from them. Oh, yes. Absolutely. So, in, so instead of going through, hey, here are, the, here are my, the people I check in every so often, there's sort of 10, 15, 20 people in your mind, or maybe there's as much as 50 or 100, he'll have 1,000. And these are all people he's met. When he goes to the networking events, when he's connecting with people, it's as easy as possible that somebody gives you a business card or they exchange some information and you just never reach out to them again, right? And they never reach out to you because you know, that's how these things go. But he just has a little system. So we all understand a customer relationship management tool once someone is a customer. Many, many, many small businesses don't really use that very well, but, but we know it for that point. But this is for before that. And, and, and I think that it sounds to me that if you, if you would follow the system that he describes, that it would be a really natural extension of what you're already good at. You're really personable, you know, you're down to earth, you know, you're going to have a high trust quotient with anybody that you're talking to. Uh, you know, you're good at what you do as you were describing what you're doing for the, this, this, you know, this one big client. Um, I have cool yeah. hair. You have cool hair. Um, you know, you got a family, your family man, you got good values. I mean, you got a lot going for you. What I think is if you could extend your your network system to just support the values you already have, but make it much easier for you to know who you've reached out to and who you haven't, what the last little conversation was, so that every 90 days you're reaching out to people that you might not be reaching out to, to a year or two years or what you know or 10 years i just reached out to a friend of mine anyway who uh who, who i've hardly connected with in 10 years and and we we have such high trust our relationship is so good but we're outside we're out of each other's lives we don't really know what's going on because we haven't had a system to just make it easy and natural when i share this to you do you say oh this is obvious i already do this or do you feel like there's a gap between what I'm describing and what you currently do in practice. I think there's a gap in, in the system for it. Exactly. So, so you know, I, I think this was about maybe, oh, maybe seven years ago, I, I created a personal mantra for myself that is still followed to this day. And that's, you know, um, and I, I take it a little bit from uh, Alec Baldwin's char character in Glengarry Glen Ross, instead of always be closing, it's always be helping. Who can I help today? But I don't have a system for that. I don't have a system to know, okay, who have I helped this week? Who can I help this week or today? Exactly. And that is, now, now Jordan uses exactly the same idea. He says, it calls it always be giving, but that's ah. precisely the genius is it's not the intent. The intent, of course it matters, but it's the system that is built around that value. So that you don't just always be giving on the days you remember to always be giving. You are giving because that you've built a giving relationship tool that brings people to your mind before you need them. So what normally happens, and, and we all know this is true, even if we have the value of always be giving, we often only think about people when we want something from them. 
And we all know what that's like when somebody reaches out to us. They reach out to us because they want something from us. And it makes just a little bit of an awkward relationship. It's an awkward, and you know, the interaction doesn't have to be negative. It's not awful, but it just feels a little, you know, a little taker. Uh, right. To use Adam Grant's term, it's a little taking. In, in, and if you build a system, and the details of that system, literally in that episode, and I, 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 that's like the action item I put to you. Now, I want to connect the dots here because I know that here we are supposed to be talking about essentialism. Uh, but we have, oh, absolutely. I just, yeah. I just want to like break out how we have. So what we did is we, exp- there are three steps to being an essentialist. That's to explore what's essential, eliminate what's not, and then create a system to make it as easy and effortless as possible. Those are the three steps. And I have spent a lot of my, um, I've spent a lot of years teaching people those ideas, uh, both within the book, essentialism, uh, but also on other people's podcasts like this, also traveling around the world, teaching in person and so on, right? There's a whole set of ways to try and teach these ideas. But finally, I got to the point where I realized I've got to shift from talking about it to just doing it. Right. And and that's what we've just done. And that's what I do on the, on the What's Essential podcast too. I'd say about 50% of the episodes now are in, uh, what I call essential interventions. That's and this right. was a miniature example of one, right? It's just what's essential and what's getting in the way. And we find as we talk through this, that well, being really precise about what you do and, and, and understanding who your customer is, well, that was important for me to understand how do you get those customers and, oh, well, what we need to do is extend that. We just need to systematize what's already working for you, uh, which is these relationships and these giving relationships and these, these, these good natural, uh, you know, trusting interactions, but in a way that just doesn't, doesn't fall to the bottom of your pile because of course it feels more awkward for you and uncomfortable and 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 just basically slightly wrong <laughs> to suddenly reach out to someone and say hey by the way i have a service that i'm charging for uh that could really help you you know there's something about that that just doesn't quite sit right for us that's true and, and, and so, of course, you put it off. Even though you know it's essential, you put it off, but not because it's essential. You don't put it off because you don't think it's important. You already think it's important. It's because the way that you're, the system you currently have, the default system you currently have, isn't imbued with the values you hold dear. So if you can just construct, and, and I think there's, I mean, you can just do it in a Google Doc. You don't even have to have some new CRM system, but... It, Someone could use a CRM system for it, but you just build it in there, the names, the people, when was the last time you contacted them? And you just, you go through a little system where you keep adding names to it. And suddenly you realize, my goodness, the list of people in my world, in my, even my relevant audience that I could, you know, potential customers one day is much bigger than I realized, but I just need to be, you know, it's, it's, it's like the farm analogy. I, I need to, I need to plant. Yeah, in the, I got a plant in the in the in the spring, so I can harvest in the fall. And what we do sometimes in our building businesses is we try to harvest in the fall without having planted in the spring. And then, of course, that's awkward. It's, it's sort of so awkward; it's basically impossible. You know, you're trying to. Oh, hey, by the way, we haven't tried in ten years, but here's my product. Here's my service. You know, it it it, it it's not the way that relationships really work or how we want them to work. But now I think we have the beginnings 
of what you could do to make it easier to get better results. And that, in a nutshell, is what essentialism really is. It is. And especially when when you think about when someone is trying to incorporate essentialism into their life or really incorporate any, any new mindset or new approach into their life, you can't just say, all right, here it is. I'm flipping the switch and now I'm doing this. You've got to create a system that helps build consistent habits. So using a CRM tool, using a system where I can consistently reach out to individuals every single day and before reaching out to them, try to think through, okay, how can I help them without asking for money, like without asking for the sale right off, it's being able to do that. That helps build that habit. It, it well, does. And it, it doesn't, I think it will be, I mean, that literally the whole qu- final quarter of it, the book Essentialism is about how to make execution easier. Because what we normally have in our mind is the idea that the way we get what matters most done is by making it happen. You know, you got to take action, got to take massive action, got to make it happen. Uh, use your discipline. You know, all the language we said, pull up your bootstraps. I mean, there's so much language around this that you've got to just go out and do it and heave and hoe and make it so. And that's that is fine and true to a point. And the to a point is that yes, but <laughs> you also need systems that help you. This is why someone who who says, oh, yes, I want to be, you know, I want to be an essentialist. You don't want to just read the book. If you just read a book, then then you're on your own afterwards. No, you're going to get people involved in your team. You get a whole community involved. You're going to get an accountability partner. You're going to sign up for the newsletter. You've got to listen to the podcast. I'm building this myself right now because I recognize how much people need a system to support them in an aha moment. For someone who's, who says, okay, I'm I want to be a Christian. Well, yeah, you go to church, get a community, get a people around you, get support in it. Okay, I want to build my business. Well, great. Go and get, get a mentoring group, a coaching group to help you, to support you. To it's, it's all about how do you create systems that mean execution of what matters most happens on the days you don't feel like it. You don't have the inspiration. You don't have the discipline, but you still do it anyway because it's actually easier to do it than not do it because the system is in support of you. And that's it. That That's discipline right there. Still doing it on the days that you don't feel like doing it because it's ingrained in you, because it's part of your habits. That, and, yes, and, 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 so and, systems, sorry, and systems and structures and culture. So habits are within, yes, but what about people around you? What are their habits? If you can find somebody to, that has great habits in any area and they are now part of your world, you're going to have better habits. I mean, there's evidence to suggest that if you want to have, if you want to lose weight, not only are the people you spend time matter, but the people that they spend time with matter. This is literally true now in systems thinking. You, you, you now, we now discover and have actually measured in longitudinal studies the impact not only of your friends on your behavior, but your friends' friends, people you've never met. And there is now, I'm trying to go from memory here, but something like a 35% greater chance that you will put on weight if your friend's friend puts on weight. Wow. So 
when we think about discipline, there's an internal discipline that matters. And that's what I think you're emphasizing when you say habits, but there's an external element, which is what I'm really wanting to emphasize, which is get the digital system to support your goals. Get the tools in your life, get the people in your life so that you can achieve, in this case for you, what's essential, which is reaching out to new people, uh, potential customers, that, that makes it easier once you've constructed it to do that. And, and ever since I've listened to the Jordan Arbinger episode, well, obviously I didn't just listen to it, but interviewed Jordan, I've come away different myself and I've been inspired and I've had the most wonderful conversations with people that I've been owing calls with sometimes for many years. And I've never once had a reason not to do it. I've never resented doing it. I've never thought, that's so painful, but I've still never done it because I didn't have a system that encouraged that behavior that I actually got it to be on the, in my, you know, to-do list and to do it. So I think there's a lot of richness in, in this little simple idea we've talked about today. I think so. And to think about the entire system and everything that helps to, you know, kind of continue on this path, having that CRM system in place helps. Having a coach or a mentor or someone to kind of plant the seeds in me to say, here is the value of doing this. Here's why you need to do this. And to be able to kind of provide that guidance, that's always needed. And I think you've just provided that right there. And then being able to have accountability with others. So honestly, my wife is a partner in my business. That's accountability right there. But I think going out and likely finding a few other people who are in my same situation who need to do the same things and we help hold each other accountable as well. Yep, that's right. That's part of the part of making execution easier. What's the digital system? What's the, the relationship system? Uh, the accountability system. And as you construct these just bit by bit, uh, they, they start to stack the decks in your favor, uh, help make it easier to, to follow through. That's, uh, that's how essentialism works. Explore, eliminate, execute. Wow. Y'all, I didn't plan for this, but we just went through an essentialism intervention. <laughs> well, Greg, thank you so much. I absolutely appreciate your time here. I absolutely appreciate the discussion and and what we've walked through and and talked about. Like one quick question I do have for you. If you were to create a soundtrack for essentialism, what songs would you want to include? Yes, this is a great question. I love that you asked this. Um, here's, here's a few that came to mind. Uh, one, actually, one is one by you too. Ah, uh, yes. And, and, and that's because, uh, uh, that's because the word priority uh, came into the English language and was singular and it stayed singular for 500 years. But uh, then we started talking of priorities, but I, I, I think there's so much power in really what's the priority. What is the most essential thing uh, that, that, that in any given day, um, week, month, What's the most important thing you need to do today? Okay, another one is uh, the mission. Uh, we, uh, there's a you know the soundtrack to the mission, the classic movies. Oh, nice. um, there's a there's a piece in there, Gabriel's Oboe uh, by Yo Yo Ma, 
I love it for lots of reasons. It's absolutely beautiful music, but also the idea of the mission, having a, a singular focus in life. Uh, it's not it's not about just creating your life, uh, but detecting your mission, not just not just designing it. Uh, number three would be uh, "Slow It Down" <laughs> by the Lumineers. There you go. Uh, the, the 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 sound, of the, both the sound of that song and, of course, its message: "Slow It Down." Essentialism is not about you know, life. It's not just about increasing speed. It's about making sure you're going in the right direction and feeling it. Another about time is uh, "There Will Be Time" by Mumford and Sons. Oh yeah, I, lo- I love that song, and uh, and and also just again um, an ode to a consciousness about how we're using this non-refundable, non-fungible asset of time. Uh, and then, uh, then finally, although I have more besides the five, uh, there's there's a song I bet most people haven't heard of. It's by Paul Buchanan. It's called Mid Air, and um, I've listened to that song many, many times. I remember one of my children saying, "One day, I hope I understand why that song means so much to you." Oh, it's from the soundtrack to a movie called About Time. I've oh, only yeah. ever watched the edited version of that movie, so I I, I can't swear by. The, everything in it, but the there is a there is a message under underlying that movie that is that still very touching to me, uh, and and one of the scenes particularly is about the father who his son describes. They said, "My father was a man who always seemed to have a lot of time on his hands," and as the movie goes on, you, you understand why. And the, the reasons why are not entirely replicable. Right. Rec- you can't Rip- replicate them. Replicable. Gotcha. Right. Re- I can't say it again. Re- uh, repeatable? Because the whole move, say it, go on, say it. Repeatable? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we cannot replicate them because yeah, that, that's it. the whole movie's about time travel and and so on. Nevertheless, there's still this ideal that's presented there, which is that his dad always has time for him and they can just go and play game of table tennis and he wants to, and he has time for reading. And, and that sense that time isn't controlled by other people and it's, and that we are present in it and we're all here and we choose to go and play like I did yesterday with soccer with my son. In fact, we had an interesting experience. I'll leave you on this, which is uh, yesterday uh, the power went out. There's strong winds where we were yesterday and power went out for this, this small city that we live in. And so for several hours, there was you know, no cell coverage at all, no Wi-Fi, uh, no lights, you know, all the things you just totally take for granted in this very highly electronic and highly Wi-Fi driven world are right. just gone. And uh, and I loved it. I mean, I loved just not having the option to do so many things. And it just wasn't, it wasn't even an option to reach out to people and say we couldn't do it. There was just nothing to do but be here. And that approximation is what is captured in the song Midair for me by Paul Buchanan. Oh, love it. And when the power goes out, you can ask yourself, well, what does this make possible? (laughs) A lovely uh, full circle there on that question.
Thanks for having me, Matt. Oh, thank you. Greg, where can people go to learn more from you? The the one place would just be go to essentialism.com. Um, and there's, there's a whole right now that will just kind of take you to my main webpage, but there's a lot coming there. Sign up for the newsletter once a week comes out, um, listen and subscribe to the what's essential podcast. Uh, but there's, there's, there's more coming. Uh, there's a, I'll give you a sneak peek. There's a, um, there's a 21 day essentialism challenge coming and that will be available at at essentialism.com. That will be video each day, a tiny increment, just one thing you can do. The video will be one minute long. The action will take hardly more than a minute. And it's just a way to get other people together in your world to try and help make sure that your life is tilting more towards what matters most to you and away from the things that matter least to you. Fantastic. I can't wait for that to come out. Greg, I am so grateful for your time today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Matt. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Greg McEwen. So go check out his books, Essentialism and Effortless, and go and check out his podcast, What's Essential. A great starting point for you would be episode number 20 with Jordan Harbinger. In that episode, Greg and Jordan have a discussion similar to what you heard with me. And if you're enjoying the Simple Brand Podcast, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. It's going to make it a lot simpler for you to get future episodes like the next one featuring, well, featuring me, Matt Lyles. And next week is National Small Business Week, and I'm going to be sharing some key lessons on how small businesses can thrive in 2021 as we start to come out of the current pandemic environment. So go ahead and subscribe. You'll automatically get my next episode as soon as it's live. Until then, keep it simple. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Simple Brand Podcast. Want to make your listening experience simple and automatically receive each new episode? Visit our website, simplebrandpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If you're finding value from the Simple Brand Podcast, leave us a rating or review. That helps us get the show to the ears of the people who need it most. Be sure to catch Matt right here next week. Same Matt time, same Matt channel. Until then, keep it simple.